0: Good morning, church. Good morning. Psalms 118 and 24, by this point, you can say it with me, says, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So whatever side of the bed you got up on this morning, we can still rejoice because he still sits on the throne. Amen? That's good news. That is good news. When we come here, we can lift our voices, we can clap our hands, we can raise our hands and we can give glory to a god no matter what it is that we're going through because he's with us in it and we're grateful to god to have all of you here i'm grateful if i may, if i may for for so many things but i want to highlight the worship team this morning can we just give god some praise for them I, I won't go into the long story of of how they came to be but to to give you a snippet of it. Our worship leader at Grace Covenant Church, our, our parent church, said to me, Paul, when are you going to get one? Because it was August, I think, of last year and, and nothing, right? And I said, I, God's got it. And God has had it. <laughs> He'll continue to have it. And with folks like Tyler and Chatel and Chase and the entire team, God is certainly leading us uh, in worship through them. So thank you guys. And for Michelle and the transition, folks who get up in between and 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 close out that moment with prayer collectively so we could experience that corporate moment while also in some ways being instructed about how to pray, thank you. And for Joseph and the folks who give us a word in that short amount of time that not just takes, but says this is why we give unto our Lord and our Savior. So I pray that you are joining me as we continue in what has already been a worship experience. Uh, For those of you live streaming, thank you for taking an hour of your time to join us today, as well as all of you sitting here. If you're new with us, or if you're not and you just forgot my name, my name is Paul. And I'm privileged to serve as pastor of this congregation, where our vision is to see people reconciled to God and to each other. And by his grace, in our generation, we will see the needle move toward both of those ends. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 23 through, through 26. If you've been with us this month, we've been going through a series entitled Spirit Filled. <clears throat> Kicked it off with Pastor Janelle Perkins from our Grace Covenant Parent Church, but also who is planting a church down in Myrtle Beach in a couple of months. Um, we continue the following week with the same series. And last week, we took a little detour, if you will, for Father's Day and pray that you were encouraged and challenged by that message um, and today we're going to get back to, if you will, the, the series on being spirit-filled, and we're going to look at the book of Galatians to do so. Um, before we read, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for this word, uh, for your word, uh, because your word is life. It's alive and it's active. And so we ask you, according to your word, Psalm 19 and 18, that you'd open up our eyes so that we may see all that is in your law, because unless you open our eyes, we can't see can't understand, certainly can't apply it to our lives. So help us this morning to bring the word from our head, which is important, head knowledge, but that it drops maybe 18 or so inches to our heart such that Monday through Saturday we can see a lived experience that is influenced by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. It reads this way, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy, Amen. The title of uh, this morning's message is feed forward, feed forward. Uh, <clears throat> after every semester, for those of you who don't, I teach uh, at the university fall and spring semesters. And after every semester, all of us as faculty get an email that lets us know that our evaluations are ready. <laughs> Meaning what the students had to say about what you did or didn't do is ready for you to consume. And some of us run to that email. Some of us take a little minute to get to that email. Others never look at it at all. I have a colleague at another university who literally in the nine years she's been in the academy will not open the email at all. She will not and has not ever looked at an evaluation, period. I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. I take a little bit and then I get to it. Some of us maybe need a little bottle or something before we get to going through those evaluations, and why. I googled some some feedback, so as not to put my own self on blast here, though I'm happy to do that from time to time. But I googled some some points of reference for some of the evaluations that come through, and you can do the same. And after googling some sample evals, some of which I read said things like, Professor so-and-so didn't teach the material in an effective manner. Sometimes the lectures were a little dry. The syllabus was confusing. One that I read said it was a complete and utterly waste of my time. Three or four comments of the many, some of which are positive, but certainly those stick out and are probably the reasons for which my colleague never opens them. But feedback ought to be helpful, right? Right. It ought to inform how we move forward. It ought to let us know what we did that wasn't so great, or maybe the things that were incredible that we now want to continue as we move forward. But many times, feedback does the opposite. It can make us feel somewhat inadequate, maybe indicted, condemned, overwhelmed, whatever emotional reaction that isn't so positive you can fill in that space with. And sometimes we depending on your paradigm and where you've grown up and have experience, can feel that way about the word of God. Maybe it's because of how it's been handled by others and presented to you. God's word is definitely a source of feedback, but maybe for you, you feel like you've been hit over the head with it, such that now it's it's tough to even open the email, if you will. It's tough to open it up because you feel like, gosh, I'm just gonna feel inadequate, indicted, less than, beat up about who I am or was, that I don't measure up. Maybe that is your reality. If anybody's ever experienced that, you don't have to raise your hand. It doesn't feel good when the Bible is stewarded or utilized in that way. It is a tool for feedback, and yet it's not meant to be a butcher's knife. It's not meant to leave people bloodied in your wake. A surgeon's tool? Absolutely. Hebrews 4 and 12, I alluded to it in some ways in the prayer. It says God's word is alive. It is active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and the actions of our heart. So it is there for us to be conformed to it and not vice versa. But it's like, as I mentioned, a surgeon's scalpel in that, like when I had my Achilles surgery, Doc didn't leave me on a table jacked up. No, I got to go back to the court. And the Bible is similar in that there's healing. There's reconciliation. There's wholeness that occurs with the kind of feedback, if you will, that it can give us. Psalm 23 says it this way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores My soul, he leads me in the way or the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, some versions say the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Think about that. The shepherd's rod used typically for correction and the staff for guidance, both comfort. How do we steward the word of God? in a way that both of those bring comfort. How might our lives reflect the kingdom of God, the word of God in such a way that we don't leave people in our wake feeling like they've been butchered, but they feel like they've been cared for. They feel like healing has emanated from our life, ultimately from the word of God. What does that look like? What does it look like for for us not to forget the two commandments that sum up, as Matthew says, the law and the prophets, that which is to love to Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Loving your neighbor, yes, means some correction. But as mentioned, even that correction, Galatians 6 says, even when we restore our brothers and sisters, we do so gently in a way that bridges and brings reconciliation and comfort. Feedback is great, and it ought to provoke a response out of us that helps us as we go forward. But today or end today, I'd like to look at this text a little bit differently, perhaps, than you have read it. Certainly when I read and studied this time, I hadn't quite seen it in this way, but I want to highlight God's mercy and his grace and his unending love for us as Michelle prayed in her transition. Yes, his word provides feedback, but I want us to see this text today in the context of feed forward as well. That which doesn't just focus and correct our past, but that which gives guidance for us in the future. When I give feed forward in the classroom, for example, instead of rating or, or judging my students' performance on everything they've done in the past, I'm then focusing on their development in the future. And I've made the shift just recently uh, in teaching, and it's been kind of interesting to notice some of my students' disposition both toward the material and the experience of being in the class, uh, uh, of the profession, if you will. And and they better not give me any kind of evaluations like I just read, since I'm feeding forward now in terms of how they could see themselves in doing better as they do just that. And being spirit-filled, that's the sermon series we've been in. It's all about bearing fruit in the future, not necessarily about or just about avoiding the, the, the sin that has plagued us in our past. That's the main point that we want to emphasize today. Some backdrop context of the book of Galatians. It is a vigorous apologetic, a defense, if you will, of the biblical truth that we are justified by Jesus Christ and not by any legalistic work that we put our hands to. But by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are we saved and reconciled unto him. The Apostle Paul, who wrote this book and a lot of the New Testament, includes in this letter to the group or churches of Galatia a countering of what was being taught in terms of Christians needing to be circumcised in order to be accepted by God. Paul, after beginning the book in the first couple of chapters, defending his apostolic authority and going on to say, I'm not here because somebody told me, some other apostles are informing me, I'm here under the authority of God and God Alone, He goes on to show them the real nature and the, the design of the Mosaic law in that it was meant to lead us and them to Jesus Christ. That checking off the boxes and, and doing all of the legalistic things weren't, uh, weren't enough for justification in terms of our being declared righteous by Jesus. Chapter 5 that we're situating our text in today continues by encouraging the Galatians to renounce their conformity to the Jewish law and to become entirely conformed to the gospel, to stand firm, Paul says, in the liberty, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. That isn't because the law and all of the markers of it are all bad. You and I, we all have some boundaries that we set in our lives. They're not necessarily all bad. It's just not in and through them that we are going to thrive. And so he's saying, listen, you can check off the boxes. You can retreat to the customs and the practices of the Jewish law if you want to, but that's not going to save you. In fact, you can be just as jacked up checking off all those boxes as if maybe you weren't checking off all those boxes. If Jesus Christ isn't at the center, if he's not empowering you to do all that he's called you to do. And so he also, in addition to that, cautions them in this newfound freedom to not act like the law doesn't matter at all. Romans 6 and 15 says it this way, what then? Shall we go on sinning because grace abounds? Apostle Paul answers his own question in in that same verse. He says, no, absolutely not. And he makes clear in verses 16 to 21 of this chapter, as we move on up to the text that we read today, some of the passions of the flesh that each of them could fall prey to. And dare I say, each of us As well, though certainly for each of us, some passions might pull on us more than others do. And by no means is this an exhaustive list in verse 16 through 21. But it is beginning in some ways to show the the Adamic nature, Adam, being from the lineage of Adam and the inheritance, if you will, of sin, the legacy of sin that's been passed down, that's created desires and passions on all of our part that do not align with or please our Lord. But. This is that point in the service where you get to talk to your neighbor and say, but, but verse 22 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. When there's a but, that's like the way out. That's the alternate route. He's saying that we can take and not fall prey to what he says. If you live in Christ is not in you. He's warning them certainly about the pitfalls of living like this. But what caught my attention this time in reading the passage is that he's not saying these things to beat them over the head about what they may have been like in the past. Thank God Jesus isn't about beating us over the head with the word of God about who we may have been in the past. Shoot, this morning when y'all drove into church, maybe all the couples can whisper to themselves. Amen all the arguments that happen on the way to church. I'm like, the devil is a liar. I got to get up in here and try to worship long. I got to apologize before we even try to do that. But Jesus isn't about beating us over the head with his word about the things that we were or the things we did in our past, but he is about telling us what our future can look like when the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of us. That's good news. That you and I don't wake up to condemnation every single morning about what we screwed up the day before, that's good news. But rather, Lamentations, I believe, chapter 2, 22 to 23 or so, says every morning we wake up to what? New mercies. New mercies, I see. That's what we wake up to. When I've said things that may not have been so building up of my bride, or... Maybe I put my kid off or said, dad will be home at this time. And I didn't get there at that time. Or at work, I wasn't as patient with a student as I perhaps could have been. Spoiler alert for some of you. I got to be careful. If you think pastors are perfect and whatnot, you might want to go now (laughs) because I'm not. I had issues. I got issues. I'll have them for a long time. But the good news, by the grace of God, those issues won't manifest in such a way that disqualifies me for this role and I steward very carefully and with respect the responsibility of not allowing you or anyone else to stumble in your faith over what behaviors or, or countenance or disposition that I have. But I ain't perfect and I'm the first in line in need of Jesus on the daily, Larry, and the power of his Holy Spirit to enable me to do that which he's called me to do and be who he's called me to be. To bear the fruit that is discussed in this pa- in this passage. Being spirit-filled is about bearing fruit. It's not just about avoiding sin. He's got so much more for you and I than just staying out of trouble. I hope that settles in. Those who know my academic work, um, I love to study student-athletes, particularly black male student-athletes. And no, I won't make this a talk on that. But what I thought relevant today is that of what has been fascinating to me, both in my own experience and over time particularly at the collegiate level, and it's certainly making its way down now to the high school level, which is there are so many efforts employed to ensure that our student athletes stay out of trouble. Because if they stay out of trouble, you go down that line of thinking, it's what? To stay eligible to play a game that makes a lot of money. And I won't go all down that path, right? But there's a lot involved to ensure that. And with all of that, So, when my passion really comes in, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to thrive. It just means they're out of trouble, they're eligible. When I think about that, every analogy falls short of of the spiritual truth. But I think about that analogy and our walks in Jesus Christ. It is important to avoid sin. That's not good. We don't all want to fall into trouble. Nobody's going to argue against that. But being spirit filled isn't just about escaping said sin or dodging temptation all of our lives. It is about bearing fruit that will be a part of a thriving life. For my student athletes, a thriving life looks like when the ball goes flat after you make it to the league and get me some tickets to come see you. I always tell them, I'm not discouraging you. Go and send me a ticket. And then when the ball goes flat around, whatever time NFL, not for long, NBA, even short, right? Like when they can thrive because there's an empowerment of some other positive identity in that in their life, and the the transition doesn't have to be as tragic as we sometimes see. Similarly, God is saying, if you bear fruit, it's not just about these things that yes, you want to avoid, and that's why the Apostle Paul lists them. But he said, I got more. I got highest and best. For you, Don't live life just trying to avoid live life, walking in the purpose that he's called for you to fulfill. Can you say amen to the truth of God's word? Not to me. That's what bearing fruit is all about. But in order to bear that kind of fruit. We've got to be connected to the right vine. The right vine, the vine that was tempted by sin, but didn't. The vine that. Died a death that he didn't have to die, but did so on our part. The kind of a vine that when people spit on him and beat him and, 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 and chastised, put the thorn, the crown of thorns on his head and the, the plaque above his head that said king of the Jews and mocked him. The kind of vine that in the face of that said, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. We've got to be connected to the right vine, the one who died and then later, as predicted, hundreds of years earlier, which is something else to think about when you think of the Bible being written by 40 different writers over 1600 years to come together in the way that it does. God, you are amazing. For that vine to then conquer death, come and say, you know what? I'm going to sit at the right hand of the father with all power in my hand. And guess what? I'm going to give it to you to stew it. That vine, John 15 says. He's the vine. We are the branches. When we are plugged into him and him into us, then we'll bear much fruit. But apart from him, we can't do a thing. When we are connected to that vine by getting into the word of God every day, not just to study, to face an argument, but to get into his word, to know him. It's a difference. Getting into his word to say, God, change me, not you conform to my world. When we can do that and plug in, then we can bear some, uh, some fruit. Verse 24 of our text says, we must crucify, and this is the active part that we get to participate in with a holy God upon whom rests the responsibility and capacity to do everything I just described. But he's gracious enough to say, you can come and participate to crucify your flesh and its passions. Live by the Spirit. One of my pastoral mentors in our Every Nation family, every time I talk to him, he'll say, Paul, uh... If the enemy were to come after you, (laughs) I'm bad at the accent, so I'll just stop it. If the enemy were to come after you from Nashville, what would that look like? Where would he go? I'm always like, man, I was having a good time in this conversation, getting some advice about how to do things. And then he hits me with that. But every time, believe it or not, I have an idea. You know what? He'll probably come after me in this way or infiltrate my thoughts in this way or that way or distract me in this way. And after that, we then proceed to pray guarding against, but then also saying, Holy Spirit, help to fill me such that I'm not just avoiding that, but I'm thriving. I'm overflowing with what you want me to overflow with so somebody else can have something to eat off of my life. And I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. And I imagine you too, if I were to ask you that question, don't get scared and run from me, but I do ask that question from time to time. If the enemy were to come to your life, what would that look like? because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So what would that look like for him to come to you? And I get a myriad of answers he will come to me through my thoughts, who'll come to me through being busy, he will come to me through the opposite sex and me being friendly, but it turns into something else when I'm just having a, a, a collegial or lunch with a colleague, it comes to me in this way where thoughts go. You know, how might we put up boundaries such that the Holy Spirit can fill? That might mean if alcoholism, for example, runs in your family, you put up boundaries that somebody else says, oh, that's too much, you can't have any. But you know for you, you're guarding against so the Holy Spirit can fill. By the way, I have no theology against drinking. Have one and have fun. But if that's your story, if your story is that you are a little too friendly, then maybe a conversation with your spouse around boundaries of lunches with the opposite sex ought to be something you consider lest you be distracted and the Holy Spirit can't fill you up on the inside so that you can do what he's called you to do by the fruit of the Spirit, which is love the unlovable, to have some joy in the midst of sadness, to have peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4 and 8, to be kind to your enemies, good to them too. We can pause there for a minute, but just ponder all the things the Bible says that we don't want to do. But the fruit of the Spirit brings love, joy, peace. You can be patient with that student in my case that maybe I wouldn't be patient with otherwise unless the Holy Spirit filled me. You could be controlling the fits of rage that you just want to let loose in your house. You could be gentle when you really want to be rough. When the fruit of the Spirit is being born in our lives, it's also not just for us. It's really for the people that are around us. It's not for us to take up uh, the spiritual iPhone and just say, oh, man, that looks good. That piece looked real good today. Man, I was a little patient today. Yeah, I'm proud of you. Taking kind of the spiritual selfies. Anybody tempted to do that? If so, let's go to verse 26 where it says, don't get conceited about this. Because it's not about you in the first place. You know who it's about? It's about those, certainly you in terms of your drawing closer to Jesus Christ But it's about those who in your life need to take a bite of fruit that tastes like Jesus. What's growing on us? Can somebody who has been exasperated by the church, somebody who wants nothing to do with religion, who has questions because of the experiences that they've had, look at your life and see some fruit being born off of it that says, you know, I know what I've experienced, but something there is a little different. I want to know who produced that. Holy Spirit, sound a little spooky to me, to be honest. But what I've seen in your life and how you didn't go off on that person in the meeting and how you love your spouse and parent your children, I want a little bit of that. What's growing on your life? Is it resentment? Is it bitterness? Is it anger? Is it, is it envy? What's growing and what kind of fruit are people getting to eat off of you? Imagine if we all embrace the but from verse 22. that we didn't just look to our past or we didn't just focus on the things we had to avoid, but God, the fruit of the Spirit, how might I embody that and thrive? As I close, um, the other day, Taylor and I and our kids went to the movies, which we don't get to do a lot, especially all together. Some friends texted us and they said, hey, you want to meet us at the movies? And bring the kids, it'll be great. We can order food in the movies. And so we did. And we went out and we saw this movie. And the character, the main character of the movie was this little girl. Her name is Bonnie. And don't worry, I won't spoil it all. And the little girl Bonnie was a little nervous about going to kindergarten. And so her toys that came alive said, we need to do something to help Bonnie be comfortable with this day at school. One of the toys, Woody, Said, I'm going to sneak in her backpack, and when we get to school, I'm just going to look out for her. So Woody jumps in the backpack. He's in the clashing with her. The kids are being somewhat mean. They were doing a craft, and one kid just took all the crafts, threw a bunch of stuff in the trash, and Woody sneaks out of the backpack. He goes to the trash, picks the stuff up out of the trash, and just throws it on her desk when she wasn't looking so that when Bonnie came back, she's happy, she's excited. And then she starts putting this little thing together, and she made a little toy she called Forky out of a spork and, and yarn and some other stuff. And Forky helped her get through that day. Helped her get through the next day. Helped her get through the week. But you know what Forky kept trying to do? Forky kept trying to jump in the trash. And Woody would be like, what are you doing? He was like, trash, that's where I belong, in the trash. And he would climb. And and so Woody's job became one of, don't get in it, you have purpose. Stop going back to the trash, Forky. (laughs) And at some point in the movie, Forky got it. It was like this light bulb went off in Forky's sporky brain, whatever. And he said, oh, you mean like because I'm here, Bonnie can eat off of my life. She has a bit more joy because she sees in me something. She has a bit more peace because she sees in me something. Am I calling us Forky? Yeah, I'm calling us Forky. And some of us more than others are so ready to run back to the trash, whatever that is, it pulls us back. We won't get into generational things today, but there are some things that have quite the tug to pull you back into what is that trash that Forky just could not repel. And yet when we start to realize there's fruit of the spirit that's available to me. Not just for me, but for the Bonnies of the world who may not get through their day, may not get through life, may not get through the understanding that after this life, there's more unless I'm there to show it to them. Life is a little bit, a lot of bit different in our families. Talk about little kids and what they see. Co-workers and what they see talking about living for others don't hear the wrong thing but i am talking about as we live for him and bear the fruit of the spirit that's how a community can change why because god is recognizable and he can do the things we could never do with a really good five-year strategic plan amen amen let's close lord we thank you so much for this opportunity to-